Have you been outbirding? Outbirding with Field Guides is the new birding video series you've been hearing about. The latest episodes from Lima, Peru, Arizona, Brazil, Cape May, and the Prairie Potholes include adventure, conversations with fascinating bird people, and field pointers. Remember, even when you're at home, you can always go outbirding with Field Guides. Join the fun at outbirding.com ABA. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am Nate Swick. I hope this episode finds you in a somewhat calm space. I am recording this early in the week, so I have no premonition about what will happen in the days to come. I just hope you're doing all right. But hey, we're here to discuss birds, and birds are what we shall discuss. So I came across a cool piece of pandemic bird news uh, a couple weeks ago regarding white-crowned sparrows which in and of itself is not a surprise. I swear I could do an entire bird club talk about fascinating bird behavior studies that just use white-crowned sparrows as a study species. There must be something about them that is attractive to bird researchers. They must kind of settle into that sweet spot between ubiquity and unique behaviors. Anyway, the unique behavior noted this time was that when the whole world slowed down quieted due to the pandemic last spring at the beginning of the pandemic of course we we're still that is still ongoing the songs of white crown sparrows became more complex and higher quality in urban environments so ut ecologist elizabeth derryberry was in it was interviewed for wired which had this great write-up of the study she likened it to a cocktail party right so assuming you still remember what those are like But essentially, you know, conversations in a crowded, loud environment tend to be simple, to the point. Your brain does a pretty good job prioritizing what is directly in front of you and uh, is most effective when what is in front of you is very simple. It is difficult, as we all know, to contain a lot of information and transmit it a long distance when there's a lot of noise around you. So when things quiet down, you can have a more nuanced and deep conversation with the people around you. Turns out the birds did this too. White-crowned sparrows in San Francisco took advantage of the sudden drop in human-caused noise and started singing songs that were more like the songs that their rural counterparts would sing. So they're higher quality songs, fancier songs that better show off their dexterity and fitness. Songs that are easier to hear, songs that are more dramatic. You might say... And Derryberry does that this is a sexier sparrow song. So this is interesting, obviously, and you might, like me, remember a lot of people in urban places early in this pandemic in the spring pointing out that the bird song sounded more present, more intense than they had ever noticed before. And well, you know, like many, I figured that it was just because they were just more keyed into that stuff. But there's an argument to be made here that that bird song, especially in urban places, really was more impressive than normal. That was a thing that was actually happening. And that may have played a role in the moment that birding is sort of having right now, ongoing, continuing. At least I'd like to think so. Silver linings and all. It's a neat article. The link is in the show notes. I hope you enjoy it. On the show this week, we are talking urban birds, specifically a pair of American kestrels, that nested near Cleveland, Ohio's busy West Side Market. Those birds became the subjects of a documentary called Kestrels in the Hood, directed by Cleveland filmmaker 
and naturalist Najata Davis. Najata will join me to talk about the Falcons, the movie, and the land, all after this week's Rare Bird. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the end of October, beginning of November 2020. What a year Rhode Island is having, the smallest state in the U.S., one of the smallest political entities in the ABA area. I think St. Pierre, Mechelon, and obviously District of Columbia are smaller. In any case, it is an extremely difficult target to hit for a rare bird, but what a bullseye this week. A common cuckoo, the cuckoo clock bird, was seen at Snake Den State Park in Rhode Island late last week. At the time I'm recording, it is still being seen. This is a first state record, only the third in the eastern part of the continent, with previous records coming only from Massachusetts and Quebec, only the third lower 48 record, so replace that Quebec one with an individual in California a few years ago, add in a relatively recent record from British Columbia, and we've now accounted for every individual away from Alaska where Common Cuckoo shows up from time to time. Pretty amazing. What a cool bird. That means Rhode Island has had both a Tarek Sandpiper and a Common Cuckoo in 2020. Who needs Western Alaska anyway, right? If that wasn't enough for local birders, next door in Connecticut, that state's first record of Pacific golden plover was found in Stratford. Birders in the east are definitely getting better at finding these things. Between this and the cuckoo, it's like a little taste of Pribilofs up in New England. And last, skirting over the border to Nova Scotia, where a northern lapwing was found near the town of Canso. Most records of this Euro plover come from Newfoundland, so any away from the island is pretty noteworthy. Obviously, something interesting is going on in the northeast corner of the continent these days. Those are the highlights for the week, as always. For a more complete look at all the rare birds seen across the U.S. and Canada, check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert every Friday morning at aba.org rba. Or you can go to our Rare Bird Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare or follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. The birding and non-birding communities alike take to urban nesting birds with a lot of interest. The drama of life and death in a place you wouldn't necessarily expect wildlife is definitely appealing. Cleveland filmmaker and media producer Najada Davis documented the nesting and fledging of a pair of American kestrels on the West Side Market in Cleveland, a project that became Kestrels in the Hood. He's with me to talk about his experience. Welcome, Najada. Thanks for joining me. Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing great. Um, so, like, how did this project start? So the project started, I'd have to say, it depends on what we're talking about, really, because there's... Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> there's a couple different um, situations within the kestrels in the hood or the kestrels you know, in the nest. So mm -hmm. I'd have to say way, way, way in the beginning, there's a guy named uh, Walt Gaychuk, who was like the superintendent on this, um, you know, working with a company downtown, and they're doing these restorations on the on the building or they they go on top of the building and there are workers up there who are saying hey uh you know we're we're seeing some birds you know some activity <laughs> you know inside this hole right here and you know they had got people involved from the division of wildlife and you know to see if there was a, like a nest there and to see if they could just cover up the hole and yeah. <laughs> um or remove the nest or something like that so it came down the line uh, that there was a nest and they were American kestrels and it was a protected species. Yeah. 
and that they couldn't move the nest, you know, or else there could be fines or something like that. Uh, but there was talk about possibly just covering up the nest because the eggs were there mm-hmm. and that, you know, the eggs would eventually die and the mother and father would just nest somewhere else. So this didn't sit well with Walt. And he said, you know what? We're just going to work around it. And they worked around it, um, which then is when that he was like, kind of making it like a little bit of a big, like a big deal, right? Yeah. He was like, man, there's a nest here. Like, this would be cool. Like nest cam footage, yeah, all this yeah. stuff. So he set up a camera up inside the nest. And then eventually he contacted me. And um, I knew Walt because a couple years before this, we had got in contact with each other uh, based off of me going to Cleveland State University. Mm-hmm. And he he was looking for someone to teach him how to use like an editing system. Oh, right. Okay. Because he wanted to like do something with the family and like take all of his uh, family photos of, you know, all his family videos and like <laughs> yeah. make them into something. Yeah. So, so we knew each other because I, you know, taught him how to do a little bit of editing. And he hit me up and was like, hey, you know, I got an opportunity. You know, I want to know if you can record the Nest Cam footage. You know, I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, yeah, it sounds, sounds dope. Um, yeah, well, I could do that for you. No problem. So um, I ended up doing some screen, some screen captures. Uh, basically, it was being uh, live streamed on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I just had set up like a laptop and I had, um, I guess you could say, um, a hard drive, right? Uh, that was dedicated to just the birds. And we let that run for like, I don't know, 20 something days. Yeah, people love that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it gets really popular. Right. I was, I was, um, I was pretty surprised. I, <laughs> I was just, I was just surprised that, like, after it was all over, how much of that was really out there in the world already. With I knew about like the you know eagle cams and yeah, yeah, yeah. different things like that, but um, I thought this might have been a little bit different just because it was it was in the city. It wasn't like in a tree and mm-hmm. you know some something really naturally occurring. This was something. Um, natural built out of something artificial and yeah. uh, and it was so I think that was why this was a little bit a uh, little bit different did you get people watching from Cleveland who would watch the stream and then come down to the west side market to try and find the birds themselves oh yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah definitely and so the west side market is really you know down the street so there's uh, that's on like Lorraine near the Lorraine and Carnegie Bridge and then the uh, the nest was uh, on Detroit Avenue, uh, near the D- Detroit Superior Bridge, and so, yeah, we did get people that came down, <laughs> and you'd see them. They'd be like, "Hey, I heard," and you'd see them like kind of <laughs> yeah. walking around, like looking up yeah, in the dude, sky. That, that, that look, yeah, yeah, with their hands shaded, like yeah, looking around, right. like they're looking for something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "Hey, are you looking for the birds?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> so, which came first for you, like filmmaking or wildlife? Probably wildlife. I'd say wildlife was a big part of my upbringing mm-hmm. and it was a part of my life before like photography or video. Uh, Cause I grew up in like the Cleveland Metro parks mm-hmm. and oh, we, yeah. we were like um, me and my family were participants in a lot of the um, events that was held. Like they would have like, um, you know, like bug days and, you know, different uh, different things like that that we would be a part of. Then I got into youth outdoors, 
which was pretty cool. And that was like run through the city with, um, you know, uh, in collaboration with 4-H and um, the Metro mm-hmm. Parks. So I, I, I lived in that for a really long time and eventually got into video. And then I started going to school and started taking classes with it. And then, you know, it just kind of took off. But they never really, they never really mixed. Yeah, right. You know, it was never like, oh, I was taking my camera out into the wilderness to just, you know, video wildlife. Um, They were kind of like two completely different things. (laughs) Um, Like you use video for corporate stuff or maybe somebody wanted a music video. And and then they're like, oh, man, you know, can I get some, I want some pictures of trees. Then you might shoot that. But it (laughs) wasn't like you just went out um just because you wanted to you know is is cleveland particularly good for urban wildlife watching i'd have to i mean if you like deer walking across the street <laughs> yeah, i guess know, it's everywhere yeah. <laughs> you know you could see deer i think it's kind of cool uh i've never really done this before but now i'm yeah, having like this like a cool idea but you know i mean there's urban wildlife all over right i mean there's squirrels yeah. um and now it's a lot of things that we take for granted That people from other places in the world would never, some people have never seen a deer before, Mm -hmm. let alone that being in the city, right? Uh, I've actually walked through uh, my neighborhood doing some uh, filming for other things and seeing a deer just laying in somebody's backyard, (laughs) you know? And like, it's a fenced in backyard. It's a small little old like Polish neighborhood. And, you know, all the houses are like real close together. And I just look over in his yard and there's a deer sitting under these trees. And I'm just like, dad, like that's their yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, g- it gives you the impression that, I mean, it shows you that, you know, wildlife is pretty good at surviving just about anywhere. Like they'll, oh, yeah. they'll do it in times and places where people aren't as aware of it, but it is, it's out there. <laughs> right. But the birds, I think, are, because I, I believe we, we, um, we live in, like the migratory path, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the birds yeah. kind of come here on, um, you know, during migration. So this is where a lot of the bird watchers, you know, come in and they they do a lot of the surveys. And uh, and that's just some stuff that I've just been learning mm-hmm. over the last, you know, few months, you know, at, in, into a year. Yeah. Do you think it surprises people to know that this sort of wildlife thing, like, falcons nesting at west side market is happening in a place as heavily trafficked as you know downtown cleveland i think they are surprised you'd be like oh a nest you know they wouldn't really think like i don't think a lot of people really can they can't really fathom the idea even if you tell them they don't really know what you're talking about oh man there was a nest there <laughs> yeah, was falcons yeah. but you know when they think of a falcon they think of something that's huge Right, right, you know, right, like yeah. an eagle of some sort, right? Yeah. And they're thinking, that's the, probably the first thing they think of. It's like this really big bird. And uh, and they're thinking like, you know, almost like a dragon. You know, it's a mythical creature to these <laughs> yeah, people. Totally. Yeah. No, <laughs> and they're like, a falcon? Really? I've never seen one of those. Um, and so they really don't know what you're talking about. But to see the camera and to see the birds, I think, is something that people can... Now they can put a face to a name. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's the Falcon. Oh, that's, oh, look at, there's babies. Now they can, they can relate to that. Yeah. And I think that's the really cool thing about the, the Falcon cam. But it was also a, a little misleading because on camera, they were really big. 
Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it yeah. was like right in your face, you know, and they, they look probably about like six inches tall, you know, and just on the screen, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, maybe even a little bit bigger. But then when you see them in real life, you know, they're, they're I mean, they're literally like, you know, less than the, the size of the palm of your hand. Yeah. yeah. And they're all wing, too. Yeah. Like the kestrels are like, they're, they're tiny yeah. little things, but their wings are huge. And when they're folded up and they're sitting in an S box or perched on the side of a building, it doesn't, they don't, they don't look very big at all. No, they look like, they could look like sparrows. Yeah. Totally. You know, just like a little bit of, you know, maybe a robin or something, you know, they're yeah. just, but they're vicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the, the process of filming the birds? Like you had the nest cam, but I assume you did some some filming on the outside of the nest box too. Right. So there was uh the documenting of the the nest cam footage that was um pretty much uh, you know that was pretty much Walt's idea. He was like, "Well, you know, this is what I want to get done." And then because it was just something cool that was happening, I started kind of going down there and being like, you know, cuz he was like, "Hey man, you know, like we've kind of seen her you know, flying around. And I was like, oh, that'd be so cool to see, you know, yeah. something like this happening. And I think I wanted to, so originally we wanted to make a little, a short video of them, like a time lapse yeah, of them okay. growing up in the nest. And then I was like, well, you know, that'd be cool. But I'm like, it'd be really nice to see mom flying in because we would only see her appear mm-hmm. on camera. And I'm thinking like, well, she's leaving and, come, you know, coming and going. And I think it'd be cool to see her at least leave the nest and, you know, go into the nest. So I started showing up with my camera and then Walt started taking me up to the roof and getting like really cool shots of, you know, because uh, mom would like be perched on a building and we could like get really close instead of just looking from from the ground level. Yeah. And then we would go up in the lift and, uh, you know, kind of just wait on her to like fly into the nest. We got a really good angle of her flying in and coming out. And then it just became like a regular thing. It was like an event that you just, it was like somewhere you went after work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would, uh, like I would get out of work and then I would go down um, to the building and just kind of walk around a little bit, maybe get a little bit of footage. And, you know, I always had like this idea that later on we may want to show what was going on. Yeah. So as a videographer, my mind was that, hey, well, since I'm here, I might as well capture some things happening. And then, uh, you know, everything kind of went from there. But when you're filming, obviously, you probably got a lot of attention from people just walking down the street. They what kind of reactions did you get from people when they found out that you were you were filming these birds? I'd have to say, I mean, people were a little surprised. You know, they're like, what are you doing out here? You know, or some people just wouldn't say anything. (laughs) <laughs> you know, they just kind of look at it's you. Mind your own business kind of yeah, Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> stuff, yeah. And they're just kind of probably like, well, that's out of the ordinary. Uh, but some people would be like, oh, really? That's crazy. You know, or some people would say, oh, yeah, I've been watching them. I've been watching yeah. them on the camera. And uh, so you, that was, um, yeah, that was interesting. But yeah, I don't think people really thought too much of it that you were, you know, filming the birds and stuff. Um, I think it was more so afterwards. But there were people that really were interested in in the birds um and so we had a friend named uh larry larry wilson and larry came down from uh i believe the black river audubon society 
And he was a part of this from like the jump because he was kind of one of the people who learned about the birds and then started coming down to like to see him because he's the Kestrel guy. Yeah. You're right. He's the Kestrel guy with the black with Black River. And and that's like out in like Lorraine County. And so um Larry was coming around and then there was um Chris and Chad Saladin, who are peregrine uh, enthusiasts in the city, and they um, they've been kind of like documenting peregrine falcons for like years, and mm-hmm. so they learned about the nest, and they started coming around and taking pictures, and we all kind of became real close. So those people, like birders, you know, kind of came around and were really excited about it. Yeah, so that was uh, I think that was the difference between just regular city folk and people who are used to seeing, you know, these animals in their natural environment. Um, but then, you know, Chris and Chad, they, they go to all these different nests for the peregrine falcon mm-hmm. um, in the city. And they were, um, so this was, they just made the Kestrel nest a, you know, like a stop on their yeah, route. part of the route, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many, how many peregrine nests do they have in Cleveland? Quite a few. They've yeah, been really quite well a few, there. quite a yeah. few. I mean, there's got to be, there's more than four, I think. Huh. That's nuts. You know, because there was one on, I think, Tower City, and then there was one, like, a nest um, near the flats, like, near Tremont, that kind of area on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there was one in, like, Ignatius they would talk about. I think there was one at the zoo, because I, <laughs> I think I went to the zoo one time, and I seen them um, down there. So, yeah, they, they had a, quite a few locations. Yeah, so was there anything that these kestrels did that surprised you or seemed especially you know attuned to living in a city like cleveland i think the, uh, the so the kestrels are naturally they like they nest in like crevices and dead trees and stuff so being inside of the hole in the in the soffit of this building was kind of like part of that natural um i guess you could say natural selection in a way you know they just Oh, that's a great spot, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a hole, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And uh so you know, probably a little bit of space in there for them. It was really high up, you know, so that's that was that was good too. But I think I think just being the height was right for them, right? Because they would they would perch up at the top of this um uh the billboard. And that's where they would trade the food. Mom and dad would trade the food at the billboard and the sparrows that were plentiful in, you know, within like Ohio city was probably, you know, that was their, like the bulk of their, uh, their feeding was oh, the, really? the sparrows. Right. Huh. Oh, they probably did pretty well then. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, you know, the sparrows in trees, sparrows in buildings, you yeah, know, they're, yeah. they're everywhere. So <laughs> yeah. You're a photographer as well as a videographer. When it comes to documenting wildlife, which one do you enjoy more? I have to say, well, I'm a video. I'd say I'm a videographer before a photographer, only mm-hmm. because that's pretty much how I started, uh, and I've been getting you know deeper into photography, um, pretty much for the uh, the framing aspects, okay. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Making you know basically painting pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'd have to say video over photo. Except photo is very important in creating pleasing images. Yeah. And then when it comes to wildlife, I'd have to say photography kind of takes, photography pretty much takes the cake, I think, in a lot of situations. 
because it's pleasing. Yeah. But when it comes down to, I guess, uh, creating a story and showing people something like going from start to finish and you have like a statement to make, uh, video Mm -hmm. is a lot, you know, a lot of times way more powerful. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you can do a slideshow with a lot of photos and then have somebody speaking and maybe some music. And, you know, people can kind of get that. They're like, wow, okay. That kind of maybe it, it, it makes the speech a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But really, it's the speech that has the heart. Yeah. Well, when you turn the photos into video, right? Now, this moving image is, is the heart of the story, hmm. right? It kind of takes anything else you put on top of that, like a speech or music, is adding to the moving image. Yeah. Um, having the video to show, to really immerse your audience in that environment uh, is key. So if, if there's somebody on the other side of the world who would be like, you know, Castro's, we see them all the time, or, you know, mm-hmm. and they, but they've never seen them in this environment and you're telling them this story, yeah, they could be like, oh, okay, that's cool. But when you show them the video, then they're like, wow, that's pretty intense because there's cars, you know, driving below, you know, it, you really get to see how dangerous the environment really was and how out of place these birds were uh, for them to then, uh, you know, be expected to live. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something about raptors too, and falcons in particular, like seeing them moving is so much more, I don't mm-hmm. know, like affecting than like a still image. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the still image really kind of shows them, you know, I mean, the talons and maybe some diving and, yeah. you know, the flight. But, yeah, like the the movements of these, you know, the birds themselves, so much more elegant, right, than just a, like you see little sparrows flying, you see pigeons. They're so bulky and, and it's just like straight to the <laughs> yeah. point, like bang, bang. I'm just trying to get from one building to the next. But when you start seeing these guys, you know, the gliding through the air, you know, and when they're they're flapping their wings and they're, it, they're staying in place. Yeah, yeah. You know, they basically just hover in place and then they'll dive down. You know, to see that stuff happen, you're like, whoa. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally hear you. Yeah. What did you end up doing with all the all the footage that you got? Um, where are you showing where are you showing the completed project? Okay, so well, yeah, we ended up um because Larry Wilson wanted us to speak. And that's where Kestrels in the Hood kind of came from. Uh, mm-hmm. it was, uh, that was Larry's name for, for the whole project. And um, so we ended up speaking at the, the Black River Audubon Society. And this was like March of, I think, I, think it was, I don't remember. I think it was last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was this year. That's yeah, I we, yeah, I think this, we shot this, this year has been so weird trying right. to figure out when things are. Yeah, you know, I think it was. I think it was 2019. I think we shot it, and then this year's been ridiculous. But yeah, yeah. I think we 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 spoke this year, 20, 2020 in March, uh, right before all this stuff. Like I think maybe even a week before all this stuff broke out. Yeah, we were coming up on the day uh, of the speech, and it was like January. And so Walt was like, hey, man, we, we need to get on the project, you know? And I was like, right, right, right. That's my whole plan. I just got off a movie, uh, which I was working for like three months. It started to get to the time where, hey, uh, we got to have something to show. And being a filmmaker, I was like, um, you know, I don't want to just go in there and speak or, 
you know, we started working on the five minute, basically we wanted to break down the whole 20 something days that they were in the nest, mm-hmm. turn it into like this like little five minute piece. And that was our first initial uh, plan. So started on that. I was teaching Walt basically how to use this program. We were working together. It was great. Uh, and we had like a two month deadline, right? So and then I was like, man, I really think we could do a lot with this. You know, like a little bit more than just the the nest footage. I'm like, I think there's, you know, we have the chance to tell that, tell a story. And, you know, I'm like, I really, I know how we can put it together. So it started like with the plan. Uh, Walt helped out with like contacts and different things like that. And then, you know, we got in touch with um, a whole host of people who were involved. So we had like uh, Jamie from uh, the Division of Wildlife, Jamie and Lori. We had like interviews with them. I sat down and had interviews with Chris and Chad Saladin. We talked to Larry, um, you know, all all types of stuff, right? And mm-hmm. so I had like all these questions. I'm like trying to find the story. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, how can we, you know, I had like two or three different angles to go at it. And the one angle that was really standing out was the fact that uh, Walt had kind of been like, this was kind of like a neighborhood story. Yeah. And like Walt had done this and brought all these people together. And it was now like Ohio City Falcons was now this thing that we kind of like call Kestrels in the Hood. It was just super cool. So that's where I started kind of like saying, we're going to create this story and this is how it's going to flow. So we ended up making like this little documentary. It ended up being like 40 minutes. We and we showed it at the um at the Audubon Society. You know, we got a lot of buzz about it because people were like, oh, it's amazing. People were crying. They thought it was an amazing story. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Job. <laughs> they, right. <laughs> you got him. <laughs> yeah. I had my brother helping out with music. And we really came down to like the last second. Um, and I think I exported the project maybe two hours before we were supposed to be there to speak, you know, for the final export. Mm-hmm. So I was like whipping in the last little bit of B-roll, all the really nice shots, like last second. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, so it's out there. If people want to get you to speak at their bird club, they, 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 yeah. you got it. You got a video for them. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly, um, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. You know, is that yeah. we, we have, um, you know, there's a story to tell mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of footage um, of the birds and, you know, it's kind of like, it could be motivation. Yeah. Right. To get out there and do something yourself. And, you know, if you do it good enough, it might end up in a, um, you know, you could put it into a film festival, mm-hmm. um, you know, or somebody might want you to just be on their team. Yeah. Like I was always, always thinking about, I'm like, dude, I feel like I'm part of National Geographic. <laughs> yeah. You know, like this is so cool. This is I'm here. You know, even though I'm just in, in this bucket, you know, <laughs> in in the middle of, you know, Detroit Avenue in the middle of Cleveland, I'm just like I'm I'm doing it. You know, I'm yeah. sitting around, I'm waiting for mom to come back with food, you know, just so I can get the shot. Yeah. Najada Davis is a Cleveland filmmaker. He documented the lives the American Kestrels in the city of Cleveland. I'll put a link to his website uh, with his projects in the show notes. You want to contact him and, and have this video shown at your own 
bird bird festival bird bird meeting whatever you can do it thanks thanks so much for your time hey no problem man thank you thank you i appreciate it thanks nate American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast or any of the free resources the ABA provides, please consider joining us. It really helps us out, especially in these uncertain times. We have memberships at whatever level works for you. You can get more information at aba.org slash join. If you really want to help us out, you don't want to spend anything out of pocket, you can go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts and leave us a rating or review. Those give us a good bearing on what people are enjoying about the show and help other people find us. Thank you in advance for that. I want to make a special shout out to Dustin Holshue of Peoria, Illinois, Kanan Cowles of Bellingham, Washington, Thaxton Smith and family of Tucson, Arizona, and Jacob Jensen of Homer, New York, all of whom recently joined or rejoined the ABA, noted the podcast as a reason. Thank you so much for that. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. His favorite white crown sparrow study was the road safety study that found that sparrows that wear helmets are less likely to sustain serious injury, which is why white crown sparrows always wear bike helmets. Seriously, look at them. Technical production is by John Lowry. His favorite white crown sparrow study was the one that found that one of their favorite foods was flaming hot Cheetos. It's why the mnemonic for their song is more, more, more cheesies, please hear. It's also why their beaks are sort of orangey pink. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who pointed to the University of Kentucky study that found that white crown sparrows absolutely hate it when great backyard bird count volunteers misidentify white-throated sparrows as white crown sparrows. It's why they look perpetually put out. And honestly, that explains my expression most of the time, too. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, on Instagram at American Birding Association, and on Twitter at ABA. My favorite white crown sparrow study is the one where they looked at migration by taking a mix of adult and first-year sparrows, tagged them with geolocators, and released them way to the east of their normal home range. So the adult birds course-corrected almost immediately, but the young ones just went straight south. They did not correct their course at all. And this sort of explains why when we find vagrants, they tend to be younger birds, because when younger birds get lost, they just keep going. Whereas experienced migrators will use other senses to get them where they need to go and are less likely to screw up. So migration is both innate and learned. Uh, There's no joke here. It's an actual study that I think is just really cool. Questions and comments, corrections, and come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. See you next week.